first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. Are you ready? Ready? You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You get nothing! You lose! This is Sparta! Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker! The Hello and welcome to the third episode of The B-List, the podcast where we talk about movies, movies, and yes, even more movies. I am your host, Sean Piercy. We're on social media, like our Facebook page, The B-List with Sean Piercy, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at B underscore List Piercy, and some very, very exciting news this week, guys. We're now on iTunes. Yay! So you might even be listening to this episode right now on iTunes. If you're not, jump on there, check out... All the episodes that are up there right now available to listen and please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. I appreciate all the support you've been giving the podcast. Now let's get straight into what we've got this week and a really exciting show planned. Got some really awesome movies to talk about this week, guys. So without any more delay, let's get right into this week's breakdown. What 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 be grade breakdown? So this week's breakdown is actually a film that I genuinely liked, which is probably the first in this podcast series, Kung Fu Hustle, a 2004 Chinese kung fu movie, would you believe it, Uh, directed by Stephen Chow, also starring Stephen Chow, he plays the main protagonist called Sing. Now this movie is fantastic. It's actually a really great looking movie and what do you expect from a movie like this? You expect some kung fu. The fantastic thing about this movie is it doesn't take itself too seriously. If you want a really dramatic look at kung fu and mastery and uh, those kinds of elements then you probably want to check out a movie like Ip Man for example. A great film as well. This film is a really light-hearted comedic take on the kung fu genre. The plot of the movie follows Stephen Chow's main character Sing and his uh, faithful sidekick as they really want to be part of this notorious axe gang which is this great big gang of bad guys that go around terrorizing the city they've got this big reputation as being these evil dudes and you have a fantastic opening scene in this movie where you're introduced to the axe gang and they take out this other gang and it's just It's quite a dramatic scene, it's quite confronting in the opening scene. A guy's leg gets chopped off, there's bullets being fired, this one lady gets blown away by a shotgun, it's all very intense and in your face. But then straight after that they've got a dance number with the Axe Gang as the opening credits roll in. And you're kind of sitting there wondering, am I supposed to be laughing at this? I feel a bit bad because some people have just been brutally murdered. Now the thing I love about this movie is that the main characters are trying to be bad guys but they're too good. They're too good to be bad. There's one glorious moment when the main character is talking to his friend telling him how he really wants to be this mad murderer, this awesome killer, and then all of a sudden an ice cream cart goes past and they're distracted. It's like the bit from Up where Doug the dog, squirrel! They're instantly off to get this ice cream when they're talking about how they're these serious uh, murderers and these real bad guys, because the bad guys always win. Now there's two versions of this film available. There's the one with English subtitles. There's also the one that have an English overdub, where they've got the English audio playing over characters who are still saying the words in Chinese. And I would say the English dubbing takes you out of the movie a fair bit. I would highly recommend you watching the subtitled version if you really want to see this movie, just for a better experience. Now I know a lot of people say that subtitles ruin the viewing experience. I mean, really, it's an ultimate first world problem when you think about it, because you're watching a movie, you're already looking at the centre of the screen most of the time, all you need to do is drop your eyes down a few inches. Really, guys? Really? I think you just need to stop whining and watch that version, it's the best. All the comedy, all the timing and the pacing of this movie are really locked into that original version with English subtitles. That's the one I think you should go for, but it's up to you. Whatever you want to do. It's silly, it's loud, it's fun, and it's a great watch that I recommend everyone see. The- 
So last week I asked a few people what some guilty pleasure movies of theirs were. Movies that they didn't like to admit that they'd seen because they were a little bit embarrassing or they were movies that people didn't expect them to actually enjoy. So I decided I'd go out and this time see if there were any films that people regretted watching in particular because I feel like that's another one that everyone has movies that they get out they maybe have really high expectations for and it lets them down. So I decided to go out and see what other people thought and what other movies people had seen that they might have regretted watching as well. Check this out. So is there a movie that you've seen recently that you uh, regretted watching after you, you finished it? Um, yes, uh, Interstellar. All right, so what didn't impress you about this movie? I just thought it was really unbelievable. Like I, just, I just thought it was lame. Maybe it's just sci-fi and all space travel. It doesn't really appeal to me, I don't know. Right, so you don't like that genre in particular, maybe? Yeah, maybe. I think maybe it was a group of friends I was with, too. I just wanted to mock them. Yeah, a while ago, my wife and I hired a movie, Vanilla Sky, with Tom Cruise. And, uh, yeah, I reckon within the first 20 minutes we went, this is rubbish, and uh, turned it off, took it back, and asked for a, uh, an exchange. <laughs> did they give you an exchange in the end? Yeah, they did. Uh, there is a movie that I've seen, and that movie was The Notebook. Uh, what I found particularly disturbing with that movie was that it put um, myself in touch with a part of myself that I, that I wasn't ready for or maybe didn't like. And now when I see an old person or an old lady and an old man, I um, find it hard to uh, keep myself emotionally together. This week's Spotlight. So for the spotlight this week, I wanted to look at a few outings that certain actors, respected actors, good actors if you like, had in terrible movies. Whether these movies were terrible because they were poorly received or if they just were kind of panned by critics or panned at the box office. So I had a few examples of some good actors that I thought really let the side down with particular choices they had in movies. Now first up, I just wanted to talk about Jennifer Lawrence in a film uh, that was released in 2012 called House at the End of the Street. Now originally... I thought this movie was released a lot earlier because it had Jennifer Lawrence in it. I thought, no worries, she's just starting her career. That's all good. And then it turns out that it was from 2012, which was the same year that Silver Linings Playbook was released, and that one she actually won an Academy Award for. So I started sort of scratching my head and thinking, I'm not quite sure that you can justify that as a career starter there, Jennifer, particularly considering that the first Hunger Games film was actually released in 2011. Now, I, I will admit that that first film in the Hunger Games franchise I didn't particularly enjoy. Uh, for a range of reasons, I'm not into the books personally, and also Jennifer Lawrence's performance, I, I've got to say it, all I could see was a bit of a derp face the entire movie, there was kind of that one expression, no emotion to be seen anywhere in the entire movie, it was just the one face, and I know that she was pretty early in her career for that first film, and her performances did improve as the series went on, and I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of her in the future. Now next up, this was really disappointing, Miles Teller. Now, lots of people know this guy because he was awesome in the movie Whiplash. He was actually nominated for a BAFTA award for his role in Whiplash, which was a fantastic film. It had a great script, great acting, and he, he gave a fantastic performance himself personally. He's also known, however, as being one of the stars of the 2015 flop Fantastic Four, or Fant Four Stick, as many people refer to it as as well, which was meant to be a really promising reboot for a franchise that has always been disappointing. And unfortunately, this is just going 
going to go along with all of the other films that have been attempted for Fantastic Four as disappointing. And unfortunately, Miles Teller in this movie as well was just flat, deadpan, just did not give a, a good performance in this movie, which is disappointing because we'd just seen him in Whiplash. He's a good actor. He's a good actor. And he just didn't give a good performance. I'm sorry, Miles, but I've got to pan this one. Finally, and this is probably the most dramatic one I wanted to talk about in terms of good actors being in terrible films, Michael Caine. This guy is an international treasure. He's been around for ages. His first film outing, I think, was in 1978. In modern terms, he's probably most well-known for being Alfred in the uh, Christopher Nolan imaginings of the Batman franchise, being the uh, protector of the Wayne family. Oh, man, that was a terrible Michael Caine impression. Anyway, moving right along, the movie that he, uh, he was in that not a lot of people know and he probably doesn't tell many people was actually another franchise-killing film, Jaws the Revenge from 1987. Jaws the Revenge was the fourth installment in the Jaws series oh, and even in 1986 people could identify how terrible this film is in actual fact Michael Caine and this, this was really embarrassing really he was not able to personally collect his Academy Award that he won his first Academy Award for his role in Hannah and Her Sisters a 1986 film because of his involvement in this movie he, he missed the ceremony because he was too busy filming Jaws the Revenge now that's pretty embarrassing because this movie is considered by many to be one of the worst movies of all time that's not good, guys. And Michael Caine was in this movie. Now, when questioned about why he did this film, why he was involved with this project, he does have a typical Michael Caine response, and that was, I have never seen the film, but by all accounts, it was terrible. Fair enough. However, I have seen the house that it built, and it is terrific. So uh, there's Michael Caine just collecting a paycheck for you there, which explains a lot as to why he's in that particular film. Good on you, Michael. You keep doing you. Sean Slick pack for a sec flick. Sean Slick pack for a sec flick. Sean Slick pack for a sec flick. Pack for a sec flick. Sean Slick pack for a sec flick. Flick sec. Sean Slick pack for a sec flick. Sean Slick pack for Sean Slick pack for a sec flick. Sean's slick pick for a sick flick. I am very, very excited to be bringing you this week's slick pick because it's actually my favourite film of all time, period. It's a little bit embarrassing as well, but I wear it like a badge. I'm fine telling people. This is Toy Story, the 1995 classic directed by John Lester and starring the irreplaceable Tom Hanks and Tim Allen, among many others who would become very recognisable voices in animated films. Now, there's so many reasons that Toy Story is a slick pick and is a great movie that everyone needs to see, not just once in their life, but over and over and over again. Now this was Pixar's first full feature length film that would go on to just define the animated genre for years to come, right up until this year. This franchise just keeps on giving. Now one of the best things I can say about this movie is that it has an amazing depth. It was the first animated film really that had depth that would appeal to both kids with all the bright colours and the toys and the animation and adults with the real sharp and the writing and the story and the character development, the supporting characters in this are all so well developed and they're hilarious. This film is ridiculously quotable and I can keep watching it even now as a 21 year old male and still laugh along like I did when I was watching it when I was four. The story, the dynamic between Buzz and Woody as they build their friendship and they deal with the conflict that was initially there, brilliantly juggles comedy with also these really real and hard hitting moments. The scene where Buzz is uh, having a bit of his mental breakdown as Mrs. Nesbitt is just classic. Don't you get it? You see the hat? I am Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> <laughs> Snap out of it, Buzz! <laughs> 
Listen, guys, I know I could go on about this movie for days, but all I can say is that Toy Story is just brilliant. A 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100, and in my opinion, one of the best films ever made, the best ever made, and it absolutely needs to be seen by everyone, and it definitely deserves its spot as this week's slick pick for a sick flick. Thanks again for listening in, guys. I know we got through a whole bunch today. I was really excited because we had some awesome movies to talk about. Again, like the Facebook page, The B-List with Sean Piercy, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at B underscore List Piercy. And of course, we are on iTunes. Yay! Really exciting. So jump on there, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff, and we'll see you next week on The B-List.